Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Uzma Samadani and Rosina Samadani about eye tracking in detecting and treating concussion and brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Midwest Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others, and you can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about the podcast at facesoftbi.com and be sure to check out the Brain Health Online Summit that will be launching in March. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. So today my guests are Dr. Uzma and Rosina Samadani. And Dr. Uzma Samadani founded Oculogica in 2013, and her laboratory has developed the eye tracking methodology and published six papers on its utility. She's currently the Rockfold Kaplan Endowed Chair for Traumatic Brain Injury at Hennepin County Medical Center and Associate Professor of Neurosurgery at the University of Minnesota. She serves on the American Association of Neurological Surgeons and the Congress of Neurological Surgeons Executive Committee for Trauma and Critical Care and is Scientific Program Chair of the AANS-CNS National Neurotrauma Society Joint Satellite Meeting. Rosina Samadani is the CEO of Oculogica and has 20 years' experience with medical device companies, including seven years with McKinsey & Company as a leader in their healthcare practice. She holds a Ph.D. in biomedical engineering from Northwestern University and a B.S. and M.S. in mechanical engineering from MIT. Oculogica is a medical device company dedicated to developing breakthrough technology to fundamentally transform the diagnosis of concussion and traumatic brain injury with its non-invasive, fast, patent-protected, and peer-reviewed technology. So welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. Is that you, Uzma? Yes, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. Do we have just you or is Rosina here too? I Just think you. she's on. Let me find out. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't I don't see her here. Um okay. so anyway, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Samadani. I'm so, so happy to have you here. And you guys recently just had FDA clearance um for your iBox, 
correct? Yes, yes. So that happened on December 28th. So tell us a little bit about what that means um, for the advancement of your technology. Well, basically, what the FDA has given us clearance to do, it's called a marketing authorization, actually, because it's a de novo application to the FDA. So they've given us marketing authorization um, for a device that aids in the diagnosis of concussion uh, in people ages 5 to 67 within one week of injury. Um, and it requires that they are under the care of a physician or have a, a clinical correlation. So it's not a consumer device. It's a medical device. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what the clearance is for is concussion, yes, no. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not the same as our research-grade device. Our research-grade device we are working on basically tells you a lot more information based on the eye movements. But I think this is a, a phenomenal first step. Um, to to be able to work with the FDA for on this uh, for the last year has has been a huge privilege, um, and we are thrilled that they have given us uh, this clearance. This is so amazing. I think Rosina is here. I'm going to unmute this number. Um, I'm so sorry. Is I'm that so you? Sorry. I'm a little okay. bit late. No problem. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> oh, this is so exciting, you guys. So. A little history here. I met Dr. Samadani, I believe, two years ago. You were the keynote speaker at the Minnesota Brain Injury Alliance. And yes. you started talking about eye tracking and how I believe it's 90% of people who've hit their head have eye tracking problems. And I like was so enthralled with your program because that was my problem. I kept telling doctors, something's wrong with my eyes and they kept telling me your eyes are fine um you know i even went to the neuro ophthalmologist and you know they're looking for um acuity and making sure that your vision is actually okay they're not you know they're not checking all the other stuff and so i was so excited to see someone locally working on this um and it's been so fun to follow your guys's journey and um how how this has developed and come about and now we're um looking at it actually getting into the hands of uh medical professionals yes yeah. so the marketing Finally. authorization the yes the marketing authorization basically enables it to be sold to clinicians um, as a device that they can use as an aid in the diagnosis of concussion. So I think that's that's a big step forward. Rosina, do you want to say something? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We're um, very excited to uh, begin commercialization. And now I believe where you guys really want to market is the emergency rooms. Is that correct? So I would actually say that the emergency room is not our first place that we would want to go. Um we would actually want to be in sports medicine, um, athletic wow. trainers, uh, potentially even concussion clinics. Um, the challenge is, is that our indication currently is for within one week of injury, and sometimes those folks don't see uh, a lot of those patients. That is in the emergency room. Um, but those are the docs that we think really um, you know, see a lot of concussion and are interested in triaging them for further therapy and, uh, um, you know, uh, are seeing these people through uh, the return to play. And so um, that's, that's where we're going to be focusing. 
And so can you explain to our listeners a little bit how the device works and how it helps aid in diagnosis? Um, Do you want to take that one? Yeah, I can take that one. Basically, it's it's very, very simple. Um, we measure the pupil position over time. So we have a camera, and it looks at your pupils. And as you are watching TV or a stimulus or, uh, you know, a film, essentially, it measures your pupil position over time. And then it compares um, the pupil position. So it looks first at one pupil, then at the other pupil, and then it looks at the, the difference between the two. And there are a lot of different things that we can tell. Um, the FDA has authorized the marketing just for yes-no concussion. From a research perspective, we can tell, for example, if one eye is moving less than the other eye, if it's got restriction in a particular direction. And if it does have restriction in a particular direction, is it in the horizontal plane, is it in the vertical plane? Is it when it's moving to the left or moving to the right? Is it when it's going up or when it's going down? Each of those functions is subserved by a different pathway in the brain. And we can tease that out. We can say, okay, it's this pathway that's impaired or it's that pathway. But from the, for the purposes of FDA and what's currently available on the market, the answer is, you know, is there an abnormality? Yes, no. Um, you know, but uh, ultimately we hope that we will be able to expand the indications to include the research indications. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I agree with everything she just said. <laughs> And so there's a difference between the current, the yes-no device, and, the, and what you're still working on, correct? So there's kind of two different things happening here? Yes. So that's the exciting thing is I think that what this represents is the beginning. It's the beginning of using eye tracking to better understand and classify brain injury. And, you know, it's, it's like when people first started talking about epilepsy. You know, we knew that people were having seizures, and we knew that there were different kinds of seizures. And so we said, yes, no, they're having a seizure. Um, but with EEG, you could tease out. You could say, is it an abnormality of alpha or beta or delta or theta, right? So different kinds of waves. And so you could characterize the nature of the seizure, and that all happened in the 50s. That's where we are with eye tracking right now. So we've just gotten to the point where we can use eye tracking to say, yes, no, there is a brain injury. Um, you know, there is a concussion. But the next steps are going to be teasing it out and classifying the pathophysiology. Mm-hmm. So the concussion is causing this or the concussion is causing that. And the, the nice thing about this is, is that hopefully, you know, as this uh, research progresses, we'll be able to identify patients who would benefit from particular treatment strategies. And that's going to be the long-term goal is to really classify the nature of injury so we can treat it appropriately. So, you know, Uzma, um, a while back you and I had a discussion about how, you know, a neurologist wants to see an MRI. Like, they, you know, it's like an orthopedic wants to see an X-ray to see a broken leg, right? right and neurologists exactly. are like, your MRI is clear. Uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So this device is essentially going to be that X-ray, right? Like it's going to tell them definitively, yes, you do have a concussion or brain injury. Well, there are two things I want to say about that. The first is that if you look at the history of medicine in people, it's really fascinating because for the last 70 or so years, we have let radiology define brain injury. 
Because if we could see something mm-hmm. on CT scan or MRI scan, we said, oh, there's something wrong and you had a brain injury. But if we couldn't see anything, we told people, oh, don't worry, you're going to be fine. And it turns out that if you look back further in medicine, that was never true before radiology existed. Because if you, if you go back further before radiology existed, the only way they had to identify brain injury was by examining the patient. And the, the best way to examine the patient was actually to look at eye movements. And the further back you go, the richer the literature on this. There are entire textbooks about abnormal <laughs> eye movements being linked to brain injury written in the 1940s and 1950s. And because that's what they had. You know, when, when x-ray came along, that changed things a little bit because people started doing, you know, angiograms and they started taking pictures of the brain with, with air injected into the ventricles, which called a ventricular gram. Um, and then, you know, things changed even more dramatically in the 70s when CT scan came out and in the 80s when, when MRI came out. But, but ultimately, we let radiology tell us whether or not someone had a brain injury for a long time. And now we're sort of taking that back. And I think what we're doing is we're allowing the physiology to express itself. We're we're able to detect the abnormal physiology, you know, when something's not working right um, by using eye tracking. Um, so, so that's the, the, the first part of, you know, what you were saying. And then the, the second part of what you're saying is, is this an x-ray for, for brain injury? Um, I would say... It's sort of, but not quite, because I think brain injury is extremely, extremely complicated. I think of it as a pathophysiologic salad, and it has more than one ingredient. Um, You know, there can be more than one different type of problem happening at the same time. The, the, The thing about medicine is we always try to look for the simplest solutions and treat those and think, okay, you know, like, for example, if you have amyloid deposition, that means you're going to get dementia, right? But the reality is, is dementia is way, way more complicated than just amyloid deposition. And brain injury is not a one pathway problem. When someone gets hit in the head, there are always multiple things that are wrong pathophysiologically, and they may be happening simultaneously. They may happen, you know, sequentially. But we have to realize that with complex problems, there are always going to be complex diagnostics and complex solutions. And so the, the way I feel about brain injury is someday it will be like chest pain. If you go into the emergency room with chest pain, they keep doing tests until they figure out what's wrong with you. You know, first they might do an EKG and say, okay, it's not a heart attack. Then they might do a chest X-ray and say, okay, it's not an aortic dissection. Then they might do an echo and say, okay, it's not heart failure. Then they, you know, they, they would rule out whatever the problem is. They would get to D-dimers or a CTA, and they would say, okay, you're having a blood clot from your leg, you know, or something like that. But they would figure out what's wrong with you, and then they would treat it. And that's where we need to get with brain injury. We need to mm-hmm. get to the point where first you do the easiest test, which might be eye tracking. Then, you know, if, if, if you need to do further tests, then you do imaging. Then you, you might do an EEG, a quantitative EEG. You might do serum markers. You might look for, you know, signs of anoxic injury. There may be other things down the road. Um, but, but ultimately, we'll be able to figure out what's actually wrong and then treat it. And I think that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I think... One of the biggest problems I see are folks who end up in the emergency room, whether it was a car accident or they fell off their bike and, you know, they're asked, well, are you dizzy? Do you have a headache? And if the patient says no and the CT is clear, it's like, okay, you're fine, you know, go home, take it easy. 
And then that patient, you know, a couple weeks down the road, maybe even a couple months down the road, can't figure out why they're having difficulty with memory or balance or they're dizzy. And, you know, they don't necessarily relate it back to that incident um, because the doctor told them they were fine. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think that this is an extremely common scenario. And I would say two of the biggest myths in brain injury are number one, if your CT scan is normal, there's nothing wrong with you. And number two is that if um, that nobody gets worse over time, you know, that everyone is supposed to be better within, say, six weeks or eight weeks or something like that. And we know that this isn't the case because there are certain types of brain injury. Like I said, it's a diverse pathophysiologic salad. There are certain types of brain injury that get worse over time. So, for example, there are certain types of what we call cortical spreading depression where you, you interrupt the ion channels and they in a very focal area, in a very tiny little spot in the brain. And that can actually spread and get worse over time. It's called cortical spreading depression. Um, and, and so, you know, that may be the patient who comes into the emergency room after a car accident and says, you know, I feel okay. I don't have a headache. But then two, three, four days later or a week later, they have crippling headaches. And so, you know, things that happen in a delayed fashion are very likely to be missed. Uh, and, and that's a huge problem. So I, I totally 100% agree with you that, you know, the the idea of using radiology to define brain injury is a problem and also the, the belief that everyone gets better after a certain period of time is also not true. Many people get better, but it's a function of, of many different factors, including the type of the injury. Mm-hmm. And, Rosina, you said earlier that, you know, your hopes is to get that into the hands of like athletic trainers and concussion clinics. Um, Do you see this as like a sideline tool? Eventually it will be a sideline tool. You know, I'm just listening to your discussion about the emergency room and what is happening there. And there are different types of emergency rooms in this country. Just so just to spend a, a bit of time on this topic, um, you know, some emergency rooms are so busy and uh, they're dealing with, you know, uh, sort of real life and death right then and there. Right. And they, what they want to make sure is that the person who's walking in with a potential concussion isn't going to die on them right away. Exactly. And so if you look at it, if you look at it from their perspective, they're not there to treat the patient long term. So if the patient's not going to die, uh, first of all, it may take a long time for them to even get in and see the ER doctor if the ER is really busy because obviously they need to triage, right? Um, and then if they do have a concussion and they send them home to rest, they they basically say to themselves, if they've got problems that continue on, they're going to have to go find that care. They may end up back here in the emergency room, but really they need to go find that care elsewhere. And that's what we found when talking with ER docs as well. They said to us, a lot of them, we're just trying to keep the patient alive. I'm just worried about is this patient going to die, you know, when they walk in the door. Um, and so when they when they see a concussion, they can make a, a, a diagnosis that's sort of safe for them to make, but they're not worried about what's going to be happening six weeks from now because they've got an emergent situation on their hands. Um, with respect to a sideline tool, uh, yes, that is our eventual goal, to have a sideline tool. Um, and to be making, um, you know, assessments both on the sideline but also, you know, back in the athletic trainer's room, um, you know, behind the scenes. 
And I know one of the benefits to this device is that there's no baseline needed, correct? That's correct. So how, um, I, I mean, I, I know how it works because I was fortunate enough to get to, to test it out when I was at the research lab. Um, but tell us a little bit about, and, and I know you said, you know, it's, it's basically measuring those pupils as they look at something on the screen. Um, but how, how quick is it? How easy is it for someone to administer on the sidelines, for instance? So the current test is just under four minutes, and you get your score immediately after the test is completed. On the sideline, we would envision the test would be even shorter, and it would obviously give a result immediately. Um, so, you know, we're shooting for, um, you know, a shorter than four-minute test. I'm not going to tell you exactly how short we're going to get to. We're um, in that stage right now, uh, but definitely shorter than the current uh, three minutes and 40 seconds test that we have. And the reason there's no baseline needed is because it's it's showing um, that the eyes aren't tracking. and a normal person's eyes should track properly, correct? Is that kind of the gist of that? Yeah, the gist of it is that we're looking at physiological uh, changes, not, um, you know, the will of the patient. But, Uzma, you should take this one. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the question about a baseline, and, you know, I I know you're on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. I, I just saw a really excellent review about what is normal for neurologic function, you know, and talking about neurodiversity. And I, I think what you have with the nice thing about eye movements is the vast majority of people do have relatively conjugate eye movements. So they, they have most of their eye movements are coordinated at the brainstem level in a way that's relatively um, uniform across the, the general population, you know, across ages, across um, gender, and across um, different races and ethnicities. And so that's, that's very helpful. Um, you definitely do have about 2 to 3% of your population that has various forms of eye movement abnormality that may or may not be clinically relevant, but certainly on the eye tracking is going to, um, to show up. And the interesting thing about it is, is that when you have trauma, you have so many metrics that are disrupted that uh you know it will it will look different than a congenital abnormality but you know speaking with two different hats so the FDA has cleared the device the iBox device as aid in the diagnosis of concussion people ages 5 to 67 um but one of the um prerequisites is that they do not have a known ocular dysmotility at baseline so if you come in and you have a sixth nerve palsy, then technically you're not a good candidate for the device, um, you know, according to the FDA uh, guideline. Um, from a research perspective, I would say that we are working on being able to distinguish someone with an acute sixth nerve palsy um, from somebody who, you know, has a baseline congenital sixth nerve palsy. So I think, I think we will get there. Um, and, you know, as we get more data from more people, then we'll be able to tease these things out. Some of these abnormalities, like I know, you know, you, you follow the literature on, on brain injury pretty closely, are actually associated with increased susceptibility. So people who have virgins mm-hmm. problems um, are known to be at higher risk for sustaining brain injury and having a more prolonged recovery. So it'll be interesting to see how things 
you know, develop in the future as people gain better and better understanding of the relationship between eye movements and brain injury. Um, I, I think that once people start to understand that you have to have intact eye movement in order to have optimal brain function, um, I, I think that there will there will definitely be uh, uh, more of an effort for people to have things like visual rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you had the opportunity to meet Dr. Jeremy Schmo, my doctor, and he was mm-hmm. he. So he's a functional neurologist, and you know, he was the first doctor to believe me about my eyes. And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's totally your eyes." And and you know, he. Mm-hmm did different tracking things with my eyes and he was able to distinguish what parts of my brain were affected by my injury. And I know that's kind of, you know, what you're working on in your research for like the next level. And, you know, like you said, it's actually been around for a really long time. And there are doctors out there who do, you know, there's the functional neurology and there's Nora eye doctors, um, that do understand this. And so it's going to be really fascinating as we move forward with this research and see where it takes us. Because right now, so many people are walking around just struggling and doctors are telling them, well, there's nothing we can do. Um, It can't possibly still be your concussion. You know, it's been two years. It can't still possibly be symptoms from that. You know, like there's just so much misunderstanding out there and, you know, it's going to be really fascinating to see where this eye tracking technology takes us. Yeah, yeah it's very like interesting I, I totally... because the Nora. Oh, go ahead, Eve. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Wendy, that's fine. <laughs> I was going to say that the the Nora group. Um, you know, as soon as we uh, got this clearance, they were some of the first people to get in touch yes. with us. And you know, they're very adept and they're very knowledgeable in this arena. And they, you know, they have many, many tools already, uh, but they reached out immediately because they're seeking uh, objective uh, diagnostics. So uh, that's one of the organizations that's been extremely active, you know, right from the day of our launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, as, as I said before, I think this is the beginning. Um, I think when I gave a talk at the National Neurotrauma Symposium in 2014, on eye movement abnormalities and brain injury, uh, there were a lot of people who went back to their universities and started looking at eye movement abnormalities in their own patients. And I think that it's really opened up the field. I wasn't, you know, the only one talking about it then. I was one of many people, but probably one of the loudest. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Um, in any <laughs> event, uh, you know, I think there's there's further awareness now than there had been even in 2014. And my suspicion is is that this is the beginning of much greater understanding. Mm-hmm. And so what, you know, as we're getting near the end of our time here, what, what are your hopes? Like, where do you hope five years from now for this technology to be? And um, is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Well, I I would say very succinctly that I think this will change the way we diagnose and define brain injury and that it's the first step in building classification schemes for brain injury. Such as mild, moderate. Oh, sorry, Rosina. Even even more so than mild, moderate, because within mild, what is Uh actually happening with your your concussion at this specific time? Uh, Because, 
you know, one flavor of mild is very different than another person's uh, mild, another flavor of mild. So even within mild, characterizing somebody's concussion so that we can get them to the appropriate therapy at the appropriate time. That's the vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I believe, Uzma, do you know anything? I, I want to say it's the U of M is actually working to get rid of the terms mild, moderate, severe, and reclassify it. Do you know anything it's about not just that? The U, yeah, it's not just the U of M. It's everywhere. So track TBI, center <laughs> TBI, the big national studies, there is a huge movement to get rid of those terms because basically it's like, you know, mild, moderate, and severe cancer. You know, it doesn't make sense. You would <laughs> right. never classify a super complex disease with such vague terminology. And and we know that there are patients who come in, you know, without a loss of consciousness and have persistent deficit. And so, you know, to say that they're mild or they're subconcussive or subclinical is is not it's not doing them justice because they have a real mm-hmm. problem. Mhm. And I think it's super confusing to the patient to be told that they have a mild brain injury, but to them yeah. it feels like the worst thing ever, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it's yes. really disheartening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, I mildly totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, mild is not mild for the patient. It's it's a exactly. it's a very misleading term. Yeah. And you know, even the word concussion, you know, it's been around forever. And I'm like, we just need, you know, if we started calling concussions what they are, they're a brain injury. You know, if we started saying brain injury instead of concussion, you know, I wonder what kind of impact that would have. You know, like. Oh, shake it off, Bobby. It's just a little bit of a concussion, you know. Oh, shake it off, Bobby. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of a brain injury, <laughs> you know, like totally yeah. changes the context. <laughs> yeah, right. totally, completely agree with you. So I think we, we have to take it seriously. My suspicion is is that what will happen over the years is that concussion itself will be broken down into multiple smaller diagnoses. So instead of saying someone has a concussion, we'll say, oh, they have cortical spreading depression abnormality in their parietal cortex. Or we'll say they have, you know... <laughs> diffuse axonal injury in their occipital cortex or in, you know, between their corpus callosi or something like that. We'll, we'll really narrow things down so that we actually have answers. And that will, that will be so much better because then we won't be just putting it all under the umbrella of concussion. You know, that, that's happened actually with brain tumors. Uh, you know, there used to be a brain tumor that was called glioblastoma multiforme. And then with genetic characterization of all the different subtypes, you know, some of which have a much worse prognosis than others and some of which respond to different treatments than others, it's now called, you know, glioblastoma of, you know, X or Y. And so it's, it's got specific forms. And I think that needs to happen with concussion. And once that does, things will be a lot better. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. absolutely where we're going is that we need to and we want to be a part of subtyping concussion. I mean, that's, yeah. we're doing research on that right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that's what's so fascinating, too, is all the research that is being done. And, you know, there's things that are happening that we don't even hear about. I mean, like, Uzma, you might hear about it because you're on the inside track. But people like me, I'm not even hearing about some of the stuff that's coming down the pipeline. And, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, I think – it's just going to be such a different story when we're talking about brain injury. And um, that, it just makes me so happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it should be. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, this is the right time. I think it, it that will definitely happen. 
Because if we can get people feeling better sooner, you know, I was two and a half years until I found Dr. Schmo and he was the first one to really listen to me. Um, You know, my neurologist kept telling me, give it more time, give it more time, give it more time. Um, You know, and I think as, as people, I think there's two things, you know, even having a doctor just acknowledge, I believe you, you know, that's huge in itself. And then getting them the proper treatment, which, you know, with, with your next level of being able to detect exactly where from the eye movements, detecting exactly where you need to concentrate on the brain, you know, that I think it's just going to be such a whole new world, getting these people better sooner and getting them the right help. Yeah, I hope so. Let's hope so. I really genuinely hope so. That is our, yeah, that is our hope. Well, ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Um, Was there anything that you wanted to add, Rosina? Was there anything? um, No, thank you so much for doing what you do. Um, This is really important to get information out there. So thank you, Amy, for doing what you do. Well, thank you. And, you know, I could sit... I could listen to Uzma talk about brain injury all day long. <laughs> so could I, so. actually. <laughs> you you guys two are. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> you two have just been so lovely to get to know the past year or so. So thank you so much for being here, and thank you for all that you're doing. And you know, um, it it. It's very hopeful to know that there are others like you out there. Um, and the more that this stuff gets pushed to the forefront, you know, the, the better it's going to be for the community as a whole. So thank you both so very much for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. We'll talk all to right. you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you got some really great golden nuggets from these ladies today. And again, you can find any previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And just another thank you to Midwest Functional Neurology Center. Concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.